it's often even more helpful when you're not in a bad place and you go to therapy. Mm. I think everyone should go. Welcome along to Versus Podcast. I'm Jade. And I'm Danny. We're two people with experience in the music industry. Each episode, we explore the reality of dealing with physical and mental health issues as music industry professionals. Welcome along. This episode, we'll be talking about generalised anxiety disorder intermittent depression, pure OOCD, uh, with the head of content at Second Screen and the deputy editor of Gigwise, Jesse Atkinson. Hi, Jesse. Hello. Hi. How are you? That is me. I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Good, good. Uh, Jesse, tell us a bit about your um, background career-wise. What got you into the industry? I moved to London from uni and I wanted to be in fashion. So I obviously had to be in London for that. Um, I started out working at a place called Brand Alley Mm -hmm. um, and then very quickly realised that fashion is a shit world Mm -hmm. to be in um, and um, pivoted to music and then I started writing for Flying Vinyl, interviewing bands because I'd been interviewing um, for Lifestyle Magazine in Manchester since I was 19 and then uh, a year or so after doing that in the office, way too much, way too, more than I should have been doing, I landed a job at Gigwise and Second Screen, which um, are owned by the same people, so they're like sister companies. Okay. What was the straw that broke the camel's back going from the fashion to the music world? I think that my back was broken like within the week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I started straight out of uni and I just was like, oh my God, it's so... I don't even know what the word is. It's just not very, it's not very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Like Fashion Week, I always dreamed of going, and it's just horrible. It's just a horrible atmosphere. Not what you expected. Not at all. I mean, I think I probably expected it to be a bit like that, but, but I not didn't. Not the extent it was. No, it was just, it's just not very nice. <laughs> Clearly, you weren't very pleased. No. <laughs> Maybe... Your face says it all. <laughs> Maybe coming at fashion when I'm higher up in this career would be better, but like starting out in it was just mm. horrible. Mm. Um, found that people in music were a lot nicer. I guess there's a different, slightly different mentality. Mm. Mm. Okay, so moving from from kind of a brief overview of your career into the mental health side of things for you, um, mm-hmm. were there any uh, pivotal points going through? Hundreds. Um, <laughs> when I was 11, when my parents divorced, um, was probably the trigger for most of the things. And then going through uh, being a teenager, um, felt like shit pretty much all of the time, but didn't know what it was because it was the noughties mm. and nobody talked about it in the noughties. Mm. So I just thought I was crazy. Then I went when I went into railing when I was like 19, I just fucking had so many panic attacks. It was horrendous. Um, and then that's when I went on antidepressants and I've been on them ever since. Um, so at uni, it was more up and down. So I was a bit better. And now it's a lot better because I've had loads of therapy. Basically, yeah, but there's like millions of different <laughs> things in between and it's been quite difficult in London um, every now and again, but it's not as bad as it was at high school, which was when it was the worst. I guess it's um, a difficult place in general to be in London, um, living and working, but then also adding on top all yeah. of the extra stresses and, and yeah. things going on in your in your life and in your head. I mean, yeah, I think everybody says that it's hard moving to London um, and it does take... I'd say two years to feel like you're at home, like at least. So yeah, there was a lot of like panic and then that triggers like OCD for the first, you know, like two years. Um, I obviously still get it, but now at least I feel comfortable where I am. 
so that when I get back to like Houston, then that feels like home. Mm. So it's just like a reestablishing kind of what where like what comfortable is for you. Yeah, exactly. Like home, because mm. like being away is a trigger. I think for a lot of people, um, being abroad or um, somewhere unfamiliar. Mm. So like because it's so big and scary, it's unfamiliar for a really long time. Mm. Um, so now that it's not, that definitely helps like a, a huge amount with everything. So you mentioned your OCD. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and your diagnosis? Yeah, so I it's still quite um, wishy-washy compared to my other diagnoses mm. um, because I was diagnosed with like depression and anxiety and panic when I was like 19. And that's when I went on antidepressants. Um, but then a few years ago, I, th- I think it's because of just the conversation opening up around mental health a lot more. I was able to like find out more about all different kinds of things and then realize like, oh my God, I've got OCD. It's just not what you think. It's not like putting things in order and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause some people do have genuinely OCD that is like that, but there are so many different things that OCD manifests as. And I realized kind of all at once a couple of years ago only that, that I have that too. Mm. um so I've had some therapy and and like yeah doctor's appointments about that and stuff so was it difficult um explaining to people around you um that what you had wasn't just OCD in inverted commas but it was actually Mm. you know because it's so easy for people to kind of go oh my god I'm OCD about this but like yeah loads of people do separate that from actual uh OCD can yeah I mean people do it all the time it doesn't really offend me too much because I know that it's hard to get Uh, something you're used to saying out of your like vocabulary so I know that people don't mean it like in a harmful way um but yeah it is kind of strange when someone says that um when I know that what it is is it's like being in hell like in your own head it's strange to to have it you know sort of trivialized but it doesn't I don't find it offensive but I think that it can be for a lot of people Mm. I just want to put things in per, into perspective for anyone that's listening. We're not talking about like a cleanliness OCD. Mm-hmm. We're talking about like a mental intrusive thought. Yeah. So I was doing some research last night about it because I don't know too much about it. And I found mm. it so, I was literally watching like these TED talks and like different YouTube really? videos. Yeah, it was so interesting because no one talks about no, it. No, they probably, don't. Like people talk about anxiety and depression. That still needs talking about more. But like this, I was like, what? I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah. Um, and there's a website called intrusivethoughts.org. Yeah. I don't know if you've been on that. I have, yeah. And they worded it really greatly, I think. They said, pure O is a form of OCD, which a person experiences obsessive, unwanted thoughts without visible compulsions or rituals Mm -hmm. and I think that's really key saying there isn't a visual aspect to it yeah so like it's just that that's why it's called pure o because it's not the compulsive part at all so like technically it's like it's just obsessive disorder it's just o (laughs) yeah with classic OCD you would you would perform a ritual or or think something or do something physically that um you would feel like would get rid of the thought that you can't stop having but with this it's like more you the just thoughts keep coming and you don't have a compulsion to go along with it it mm. just sort of keeps coming at you just the thoughts themselves over and over when what point did you realize they weren't just thoughts and it was actually something wrong I'm not even sure to be honest I think I think it was with the um, with health OCD so I've had health and relationship OCD and relationship OCD which I think we'll probably talk about in a minute is really interesting I think people need to know more about it which is why I wanted to talk about it there's hardly any articles online about it Mm. but um I found out first with the health OCD because I used to be just terrified for years it literally ruined my life 
Like I would think about it from like waking up to going to sleep about like getting a UTI, like for literally no reason. It's always something really, really, really weird or random. So you don't feel like you can tell anyone because it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and then I think I realized when I was a bit older, I was like, that isn't normal to, to have thought about it that much. So it wasn't something that you spoke about with other people and said, oh, like, aren't you worried about this happening or that happening? And then as a result, they kind of went, uh, no, not really. Yeah, I did sometimes. Uh, that's seeking reassurance, which is like, um, I learned a lot later is like really bad for OCD. Uh, okay. Because um, whereas like with anxiety and depression, it's super helpful to talk about it. Yeah. With OCD, if you give it, if you talk about it, it's like feeding it because... Yeah. It's just a thought. I was telling Danny about it before we recorded, actually. I was saying, like, if you're thinking about not thinking about it, yeah, you're worse. then thinking about yeah. it. And we were comparing it to artists who are writing about their mental health. Like, they have to write about it to release their content, but then yeah. they're thinking about their mental health and it's going to make them feel a bit lower than mm. usual. Mm. I think it's super helpful to talk about anxiety and depression. And it's, it's important to have a conversation, like, in society about OCD. Yeah. But, like, day-to-day, if you're living with it, it's unhelpful to seek reassurance. That's really interesting. Was there an impact on, on your work in the, in the music industry with this? I mean, it just... It, it, not specifically, but it affects, like... It, when, it, when I have a, a period of it, which, at the touch wood, like, I don't... I get it every now and again, like, quite intensely for a couple of weeks, and then it goes away. Um, it more works like that. It's like triggered by often, you know, drinking a lot of alcohol. So yeah, mm. in that way, working in the music industry um, where there's drugs and alcohol everywhere all the time and it's hard to, it's hard to, yeah, it is. I mean, I, I'm not really into, I've never been a party kind of person, but I when it's there, <laughs> it's like really hard anyway. Yeah. So in that way, I mean, but otherwise it just, it does affect it because it affects everything mm. in that you can't think about really anything else you can't focus because you're so focused on that obsessive thought on that one thought yeah it's the most maddening thing like ever <laughs> it truly is in terms of likening it to other things in my head i remember going to a festival once and getting really caught up in the idea um that someone was going to mug me while yeah. i was in this festival and i had nothing in my pockets i didn't even have my phone all i had was a, a black marker pen because i wanted to get a signature from a oh, really? from one of the djs That's you so really cool. wanted that signature then. i did but but i was a little bit worse for wear it was kind of the second or third night of this festival yeah um and i was like paranoid yeah and paranoid beyond comprehension like i couldn't think about anything else because yeah. that was all i could focus on and my friend just laughed it off he was like oh danny stop being silly like don't be ridiculous yeah that's that's exactly it it took him two years to come back to me um and later say danny i had a, sim- a similar situation really? and i empathize with you i know exactly how you felt i'm sorry i said that to you but like i it doesn't seem normal at the time and i was yeah. like i know that's really cool of him though yeah yeah, yeah. that's really cool of him to like circle mm, back and be like mm. i've thought about it and experienced it yeah that's cool but that's the only that's kind of the closest i can kind of come to that's definitely it it's yeah. just that if that was like for weeks mm. so like um what you had is an intrusive thought and people have intrusive thoughts all the time mm. whether they have ocd or not so yeah, like, it's like everyone thinks like oh if i swerve the car right now i might crash into yeah that and stuff like that like or like <laughs> it's usually violent as well it's yeah. like um with intrusive thoughts it's like what if i just push someone in front of his train yeah yeah. Like, pe- like everybody has that. Yeah, no yeah. one likes to admit it, but that crosses yeah. everyone's mind. Everybody has it. That's <laughs> the just difference an, between that. Yeah, is you just go, oh, that's stupid, and yeah. just like yeah. dismiss it. But if you've got OCD, then it, it fixes onto one of those things, and it just will not let it go. Yeah. So I mean, some people um, 
do have like violent OCD or like one, um, I don't know if, if you'd want to have this on here, but like lots of people have like, I don't have this thankfully, but like paedophile OCD, mm. like convinced that they're paedophiles. That came up when I was looking into it. Thoughts cross their mind and then that drives And then they're them. like, what if I am? Yeah. Mm. That's a really common one. I almost sent you one of the videos I watched last night, actually. I should have done, because it was so interesting. It yeah. was, I think it was Sky News. They were, like, interviewing... I mean, it was a bit shit. They didn't go too deep into it, but mm. they had, like, different people with different types of pure OCD. Oh, cool. So one, of them, one of them was a mum, and, like, once she'd had her child, she was, like, having these yeah, what if violent I've thoughts. Them? Yeah, and she was constantly, like, thinking about... Like, it got to the point where she wasn't leaving the house because mm. she was scared she'd push her child in the pram in front of a car yeah. or that she stopped letting people in the house because she was scared they were going to hurt the child. Mm. Wow. It's quite a common one. Yeah. It also, because it attacks um, often the thing that you, that is most important to you, mm. which is what makes it one of the worst, personally out of all of the many mental health problems that I've suffered with, is one of the worst ones because it, it does fixate often on, on something that means a lot to you. Hence the one that people have with children. I mean, they're the people that would never in a yeah. million years like abuse a child mm. often have that OCD. So I remember in, in their first podcast, um, which you can go back and listen to, <laughs> um, <laughs> we spoke to uh, Liam Ward, who was talking um, about his anxiety and depression. Yeah. And I remember finishing off the conversation, uh, we were talking to him a bit about um, ways for coping and whether it mm. was intrusive thoughts. And with an anxiety and depression, there are ways in which you can kind of give yourself... Um, steps or mantras or yeah. phrases or grounding yourself when you're having kind of an, a panic attacks or anxiety attacks. Yeah. Does it work at all in the same way for, for OCD? I've kind of, I've had hypnotherapy for my OCD, um, but I've only just kind of, I've talked about it a little bit in psychotherapy, but I've just got a new therapist three weeks ago who specializes in it oh, because, um, yeah, because I've, I've done years of depression okay. and anxiety therapy, um, which has helped me like more than, well, as much as the tablets, but like just amazing so I need to focus on that but so far it kind of it's a little different um but it's, it's similar in a lot of ways so like with anxiety like exposure therapy so the OCD yeah. it's like exposure to that thought and and letting the anxiety build around that thought until you realize that it's not going to hurt you and it's just a thought that's interesting yeah um, I wanted to talk to you about that actually. Yeah. Um, exposure and response prevention therapy. Yeah, that's what yeah. I've started. Yeah. Do you find that helps? Because a lot of what I was reading about it was more the like cleanliness OCD. So like you put your hand in the toilet and try not to resist it. Yeah, and, God. But I can't that must imagine. Be so hard for them. Yeah, but I can't imagine. I w watched that on a show recently. Actually, it was someone who like keeps their kitchen and their house organized. Yeah. And they had someone come round, and she was like. Okay, move this over there. And she just couldn't like, do it. I don't want to. But she did do it. Yeah, and yeah. it did help her. So that was quite interesting to watch. But I can't imagine how that would work with relationship OCD. I'm not even I'm not even sure to be honest, but when I go like when I go through it now, so I've had it before with a previous partner who I, I was in love with, um, and ended up breaking up with him because of this thought that I should break up with him. It's almost a bit like, have you seen Inception? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's almost like that, you know, they plant a thought and then you can't get rid of it. And mm. you just think it's real, even if it isn't. So like then I didn't know that I had OCD. So I know I just thought that I would, was thinking to the point of madness for like eight months that I should break up with him. So that's what I did because I didn't know what else to do. But now that I know what it is and I have a new boyfriend over the last two years, Matt, who is amazing, then I think... 
because I know what it is, is one of the biggest reasons why it's easier. Mm. Just being able to kind of not even label it, but just being able to kind of know what it is to Mm. say, right. It's not real. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's still a lot of medical professionals who, especially with relationship OCD, they'll be like, oh, you're obviously just not in love with them. Yeah. I've had a counsellor said that to me. But it shows that it's happened with multiple partners. So it's not just. It's very clear to me now. And I don't think it would be if I hadn't had such extensive therapy on all my other um, mental health problems. And I think that that's sad because there's probably loads of people that have got it. Yeah. I bet you there's, I bet there's loads and yeah. they, and they have no idea. Mm. Whether it's misdiagnosis or just not being picked up at all. Yeah. Because they're just like, oh, you just want to break up with them. Yeah. So it's quite difficult though. It's quite nuanced and complicated mm. an issue. Do you think that then in my mind, there's, there's this kind of like age of people who haven't yet decided that or independently decided that they need to seek help therapy mm. or whatever mm-hmm. um who are kind of missing out or or are falling foul of uh, you know or um are uh, failing nhs well <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what i mean is that obviously there's this market or this this group of people this this demographic mm. that don't have um clear access um, mm-hmm. aren't educated enough about it. 100%. After maybe like, I don't know, tw- in your 20s or 25 or something, maybe the rate of, of, of uh, acknowledgement and rate of it is higher, but it's only because people have gone out and found that this is the problem. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't, I'm amazed that I stumbled on it and I'm so grateful that I stumbled on it. Um, I don't even remember how I found out about it. And then I was like, oh my God, that is exactly what I had with my ex-partner. And it was really upsetting. It was like Mm. going through the breakup again, even though I'm over him and I'm I'm now glad that I'm not with him now, which is very lucky. (laughs) Because imagine if he had been like someone that I wish I was still with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you ever get a chance to have a conversation with him after the fact? Um, I have actually in next week. Really? I'm I'm seeing him next week at um, New Year's Eve party. Wow. So I'm going to tell him because I'm not going to have it on the podcast first yeah 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 yeah. he won't listen to it well, but luckily, i still think it's after anyway <laughs> yeah ex- well it is afterwards exactly but i don't think it's fair for it to come out on here yeah, before i tell him no definitely but it was a long time ago now mm. but that's nice you get the opportunity it was just confusing for both of us and mm. i think it would maybe help him as well yeah definitely because it was just fucking awful it really was because neither of us knew understood why it happened yeah i mean it's one thing being you know whether it's a teenager or whatever um and being in early relationships and not understanding you know the nuances of relationships Mm. but it's another thing if there's there's this relationship ocd in the mix as well and you don't even know what it was (laughs) so yeah it's a lot better knowing what it is now because i i can talk to my boyfriend about it and it you know he knows it's not and that's obviously key, having someone who understands it. Yeah, yeah, it is. Always, I'm mean, with any mental health problem. So looking at the OCD, um, is there any kind of medication for this? Um, yeah, there is actually. Um, so the one that I was put on when I was 19, which luckily worked straight away for me. So some people have to try lots of different ones. Um, I, was, I was put on 50 milligrams of sertraline, which is quite a common one for depression mixed mm. with anxiety. I've been on that before. Yeah, it's really great. I mean, mm. it saved my life. Thankfully, it worked first time. And the, uh, 50 milligrams is the lowest dose. And that's what I've been on ever since. I'm 26 now. Um, and that actually helps with OCD. Mm. So it's like a catch-all one for me. Um, obviously, it, it depends person to person. Um, but yeah, for me, it works for all three. You're saying that it saved your life. Is that like, yeah. is that like a like a tangible like it definitely took you through, brought you through a, a really dark time? Yeah, like I think that people are 
still so odd about medication like even people who've been on it are like oh like i'm coming off it and it's like you're well done fucking i'm not like i'm actually guilty of that because <laughs> it works so yeah. like i'm not gonna come off it yeah and I've, I've actually tried before and it was just horrendous and it's mm. like why would i try mm. i have clinical depression it's gonna come back like so mm. i may as well just stay on it mm. i had an ex-partner who had similar to you um was on medication for depression um and ran out at christmas oh it's the word oh and we were in a we were in a, a hospital walk-in yeah 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 emergency walk-in um and she, she was just in tears for about four hours and for me having brushes with bits of depression here and there and anxiety and whatever it was not only was it mortifying but knowing that knowing that there was a level of dependence there mm. um, that they were still adjusting to. Yeah, that was and and added to the fact to the fact that, that it was probably the stress of not having it. Exactly, yeah. it was that as well. Yeah, it was. It's really stressful because it's not good for you if you just stop straight out. Mm. I've been to many a walking center when I've run out <laughs> <laughs> of them. Yeah, you've said before that you've tried to gradually come off of it, right? I have. I've tried twice, um, but I mean, I probably will try again in the future. I just don't. I just don't like the idea of you know boasting about it or mm. telling people that because like some people i might i might be one of them and be on it forever and that's mm. fine because if it helps you why not well exactly mm. i just think people are still so strange about it from my limited knowledge um i'm aware that there are different types of um different types of antidepressants mm -hmm. and the one that i had contact with with my with a, an ex-partner was one which gradually rebuilt a level of is it serotonin yeah, yeah. ssri right um to the point where eventually hopefully or well, well i guess eventually um you're in a position where you can kind of bring down your dosage yeah so it kind of like uh artificially brings up that level to a to what should be a normal level yeah i think that so i'm not 100 percent sure of the science of it for everyone else but for me it's like my depression is clinical which means that it's it's not just a one-off like it's is sort of inbuilt like so it's not severe but it, it comes back mm. yeah um so i don't know whether that that that's why i have to you know keep on taking it because i know other people who have had it for a while and then come off and they're fine um but i guess that's a kind of different a different thing because if if say they've had one very obvious trigger like a parent dying or something um and then they go on them mm. for that mm. whereas mine is more like just generalized yeah. mental health problems so i'm not i'm not actually sure mm. but i think i mean it's obviously important to research them and then ask the doctor mm. but also you need to be careful if you go to a gp and unfortunately there are still gps who will be dismissive about it oh yeah um you need to stay strong and be like just not listen to them and then make an appointment with someone else yeah get a second opinion it's terrible that that still happens but it does yeah i remember the first doctor i ever saw about my mental health he just didn't really say anything. And I was like, what? I was literally yeah. crying before I came here. And then I went to see him at a later date. Can't remember the in-betweens and everything. Yeah. But, um, and I went in and I was literally crying. And then he like switched yeah. and just fully <laughs> took it seriously. Yeah, you have to be crying. Like, the way he was that day was amazing. Yeah. But it was like, why didn't you see it beforehand? Well, what, what if the first time you'd have gone in, that was like, your point critical. of critical yeah. Yeah, yeah literally yeah i've been in before like suicidal mm. and thankfully i'd had lots of therapy already so i i and i have a you support kind of system had the tools. but like i went in and i was like i went in like two days in a row and he was like what do you want me to do about it 
And, it, and I was like, I, d I just want you to tell me that it will go away. And he was like, I can't tell you that. Can you imagine? Like yeah. anyone else could have gone home and just killed themselves, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It still, it upsets me so much that he was like that with me. And that's why when I tell people, if people haven't been to the GP before, mm. you need, if, they're, if they're like that, please just ignore them mm. because they haven't got, but that makes so many people scared of going as well. I know. Yeah. yeah. But not many of them. I mean, some of them are like that, the older ones yeah. usually, because they have to have um, training now. Mm. A lot better training. My friends are new, like newly qualified doctors a couple of years ago. They had to have a lot more mm. and a lot more person to person training as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's really important. I know from going to walking clinics for various different things. And especially as a, as a guy, um, there's this kind of, uh, I think there was a stat somewhere, and I'm not going to quote it because I'll definitely get it wrong, <laughs> but a stat about the the rate um, comparison for, for women that will go to walking clinics or, or, or to yeah. to doctors and GPs versus men in the same situation. And it's and like... women was higher. Yeah, much higher. Whereas yeah, men... men just don't want to go to the yeah. doctor. Much more reluctant to. And I know that when I've been in the past, there was a doctor that... Well, actually, it wasn't a doctor, it was a nurse that, that asked me whether I thought my family had been cursed as a result of this... Uh, as a result of this thing that I'd gone with, and I was like, "What? Are you serious?" <laughs> That's so random. And yeah. they were, well, it was it was an Asian doc, um, Asian nurse, and she said, "Well, have you considered that maybe it's a curse?" And I was, I was like, say, "Is that some like? <gasps> are you fucking thing? joking?" No way. And I was like, "A medical professional is saying this to me." <laughs> is that some like cultural thing from back in the day, or something, possibly or? slightly, but not here? It's not almost in, like she maybe saw your race and was like, "Yeah," but it was ridiculous. I ran and rang my mom, and we laughed on the phone for it That's for shocking. ten minutes. That is appalling. But what it shows is you know with these anecdotes and we've all got them is that even in the nhs even in what should be a well-oiled system there are still humans yeah, and, yeah. and humans have their own opinions yeah they yeah. do and i think that's you know when it comes to people going to going to doctors or gps that's why jesse you're absolutely right just saying make sure that you follow it up chase up see someone else mm. the next person will will some people are amazing mm. someone i know who went for the first time i was like if if they start saying or ignoring you, stop listening to them, please, and like leave and ask for a different appointment. Mm. But they were they were amazing. They were mm. like, you need to rest. <laughs> you need to try these antidepressants if you want to, mm. and you need to have therapy. And they were great straight away. And I think a lot of GPs are like that. So moving forward, hopefully to uh, kind of more positive passages, in terms of lifestyle changes or things that you found that have yeah. kind of been helpful? What, I love anything? this subject. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm a self-care junkie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because people are surprised by it because they look at me with my bleach blonde hair and my piercings and my tattoos and they're like, she smashes the cocaine. <laughs> and um, I just love being the person, not that I'm the only one, there's plenty of us, especially now in music, her changing the face of music a little bit, yeah. being way more conscientious about your own health and other people's health. And I just, I think that it's fun being that like nerdy rebel. <laughs> so like I, I exercise loads because it helps my um, mental health problems probably as much as my antidepressants. That's really, that, it's quite a big thing. That's the same with you though, isn't it? Definitely. Like the same level, I would yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, I know that if I'm overworking myself, it's from one of two or three reasons. Mm. One will be that I haven't done any exercise and it correlates yeah. almost like almost exactly. And two is that my food, that what food I'm eating is, is either shit. fast food yeah. or it's, or, you know, whatever. 100% And well. those are two massive things for me. 
it's interesting really isn't it i mean i think people don't want to admit it to themselves mm. a lot of the time they're like it's such a simple thing but it is i mean it, admit it. it is a bit difficult to to get into a habit of yeah. of eating well and living well so like i have to i still drink and i limit i limit drugs and alcohol um christmas is difficult mm. um i was sober for eight months one year which was good well done. For my mental health, thank you. But um, I realised then that I didn't need to be sober and that I could. Mm. Just cut back. I could just cut back. And I, I thought it was too extreme the other way and I didn't want to become scared of of alcohol. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, because it isn't like I'm not an addict. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's I, that's yeah. interesting, yeah. And then, yeah, also the food thing for sure. Like I, I try and eat like, I mean, I eat tons of pizza. I fucking love pizza. <laughs> but also I, I have... I try and have a, a loads of vegetables. Like we we eat like eight or nine portions of vegetables a day, um, just a standard. But then that might also mean I have a pizza too. <laughs> I mean, I, I eat a lot of junk as well. But yeah. if you're getting the the vegetables and the water in, it it's makes all about the, balance, right? It makes exactly <laughs> pizza, chocolate, and the whole bar of dairy milk we have as well. A lot of the time. <laughs> Just like mm. smash that. Oh, you've got to treat yourself sometimes, though. Oh, I treat myself every day. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, I was talking to another a group of people connected to this um, connected to the radio studios, yeah. and they were talking about their their things for kind of self love. And the the first one that they mentioned was drinking water. Yeah, that's something for me that maybe he's kicked in in the last I mean I've cycled and I've done loads of exercise for many years so for yeah. me you did it when when you were doing loads of exercise of course yeah yeah but doing it outside and just on a day-to-day -day thing I had I fell into this thing of having to realize that my sister my sister who's a year older than me was right again she's <laughs> <laughs> so frustrating how could she but she's always walking around with at least one cup of tea and a bottle with her yeah mm. and it's you know it's done her so much I have to say I smashed the water as well <laughs> but I like it yeah do you do you yeah i've constantly water? got my water bottle with me i drink <laughs> so much water mm. that definitely i agree that too yeah 100 percent. also keeping on top of um what i'm spending that's interesting which my grandma always tried to instill in me mm. and i always hated having to <laughs> i used to have to write down you know just my pocket money yeah mm. used to piss me off it's like it's two pounds grandma but like now because she's like <laughs> now you're thanking her for yeah, it yeah <laughs> because i have a book where i write down everything i spend and like all you know, I have what I have expendable for the month mm. after all um, bills and rent and stuff. And that actually really helps. Yeah. Because I'm not just, it's not all. It's one less concern. Yeah. It's not like, oh, that thing in the corner I don't look at. Yeah. I see it as like a, like a, a loose lead or like a, like just something just that's just flailing. Yeah. And in the last year I've gone freelance and doing that has meant that I've had to keep my own personal budget. And now I've got a, a document mm -hmm. on my Google drive that every month I fill in and it makes me, it forces me to look through my bank account yeah. and look at what I've spent and everything's online, which is, which is great. Yeah. Um, Nobody hacked Danny. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but that for, for me personally, that is like a, a brilliant way to, allay that kind of stress of losing control yeah 100 percent. That, that yeah i was actually i've done it for like a year now but i'm 26 so i didn't start until i was 25 and i was like fuck i should have been doing this the whole time mm. grandma mm. you're right <laughs> 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 like your sister yeah right again helly <laughs> <laughs> so for people who aren't aware about relationship ocd can you just go into that a little bit more yeah so um it's quite it's, it's really fascinating actually it's um the way I, I um, experience it is that I just have this a, a thought that I can't get rid of, that I should break up with my boyfriend. 
and it's just all consuming and it just is all day every day and it's really distressing and that's how I can tell that it's not a true thought because it comes on often very quickly um, and lasts for two weeks and it's just the only thing I can think of and isn't based in any fact other people have um, have it um, where they think that they'll cheat or they think their partner will cheat or there's all sorts of different ways that can manifest but for me it, it's like um, it comes from a deep <laughs> trauma of my parents divorce mm. that I need to not be with a long-term partner in case we get divorced and the pain is too much for me to deal with how did you learn that was the cause was that through therapy psychotherapy and then it's like so then the OCD is kind of like trying to protect me by being like break up now save yourself instead mm. of in 10 years mm. it's like a fight or flight thing. yeah so I have to just you have to ride through it mm. it's horrible but at least I know what it is now yeah that's interesting that that idea that because I think what you have to part of I guess what you have to tell yourself is that you deserve happiness yeah yeah. And it's not, and history doesn't repeat itself. Mm. Mm. And you don't have to, you can work through those traumas in the now and you need to, because otherwise you'll live your whole life with them still. Mm. When you get your bad periods, is that triggered by anything? Like, yes. does it come after like a fight or something? It comes after um, big like steps in our relationship. Okay. So when we moved in together, I had like, it. So this is so how you go through your head like, is this going to work out? Should it's I just classic. Yeah, thing? it's like all. Cla- it's, this is how it was so clear to me that it was relationship OCD. It's like, oh, and then um, about a month ago, we were like, decided we would get engaged maybe in the next year. And I had, I just came out of a really bad period of it from that. It's just super clear. Mm. Like, yeah. Gosh. Well, I mean, I guess it, it sounds really positive that you can see these signs now. And the last podcast we did, we were talking to um, a guy called Elliot Vaughan and he, and he suffers with really, really bad migraines. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing with that was that Jade was kind of explaining to me um, about auras mm. and what yeah. auras were. And as a kind of like a spidey sense, like, oh, something's about to happen. Something's about to yeah. come on. Mm. Um, and for you to be able to be in a position now to say, well, oh, I know that this is happening as a direct result of that. Mm. That's wonderful. Um, it's wonderful being older. I just, you couldn't pay me to be a teenager again and not understand anything and not understand my own brain and not be on medication and not have had therapy. You couldn't pay me a billion pounds to go back to that because being 26 and being in therapy and having had so much therapy and understanding yourself is just the best thing in the world because even when you, you feel poorly, you know what it is, you know that it'll pass. And that's true for the depression and the anxiety as well. Mm. Have you, is there any any nice little nuggets that you could give someone who's just entering this or yeah. just unfurling this themselves? Um, there's there's a lot. I mean, ex, please exercise. It really does make a difference. And I know that you can just find something that you like doing, and it, it will make you feel so much better. Um, and then go to the GP and go on a a waiting list for therapy. I know they're long at the moment. You can also um, have private therapy, and they are, that can be expensive. But most private therapists will um, supplement their, they will lower the price for people who are less able to afford it. Okay. So if the waiting list, which it probably will be very long right now, because obviously the conservatives have fucked the NHS, mm. <laughs> um, then you can, you can look for a therapist and most of them will, will accept a much lower and you mm. did that yourself at one point, right? I, I've always paid the full amount because my parents have helped me a little bit with it. And then I just was happy to spend a lot of my money on it because mm. and, it I, and I was so privileged enough to have 
enough mm. to do it too obviously um you can you can find people who who will who will do it cheap mm. so like that's that's some advice that i only found out recently that if you ask them mm. you said um you've had cbt as well yeah i have cognitive behavioral therapy uh-huh. do you want to tell us a bit about your experience with that it works really well for a lot of people i didn't love it um i think it 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 worked quite well as, a, as, as an initial thing. Mm. So when I was like 15, I think I probably had it for the first time. And that was my first contact with any kind of therapy. And it definitely does help a little bit, like rebuilding some of the, redrawing some of the blueprints that you've just drawn all fucked up when you're young. Yeah. Mm. Um, and they've ha- this been very helpful and all, like cured some of my friend's anxiety. So you, you should try it. <laughs> Well, I went to a mindfulness thing. I got referred. That was my first ever mental health experience thing with the GP. They sent me to some mindfulness thing, and I was like, "This is a load of bullshit." (laughs) (laughs) I think I was like thirteen, fourteen, so I was a little bit like Mm. anti everything anyway. Mm. Um, But it was just like I was surrounded by people a lot younger than me. I've always been mature for my age, so I was just kind of like, "Why am I here?" I felt like I was being talked down to because it was like. Just live in the moment. Yeah, and that's like, not let's pass around a bit of chocolate and like just imagine it on your tongue. And, and I was just like, why am I here? Like, but looking yeah, back, I think it did. I've kind of implemented little bits from that to mm. be more present. But as an overall thing, I was like, there's things that are just so much better that I could have been doing instead of that. Yeah, I mean, but like you said, it's some people. It's it works grateful. for some people. Mindfulness is amazing, mm. but I think you just need to be taught it in a way that works for you. Yeah, it was that definitely doesn't sound the way it like taught. I would like that either. No. Mm. But mind, mindfulness, like just day to day, even when you feel fine, is super important. Mm. My weird analogy of the podcast is going to be <laughs> connecting it to learning how to revise at school. Okay. I was never taught how to revise in a way that worked for me. Yeah. And as a result, I got to university and had to teach myself at the age of 18, 19 and 20 how to revise in a way that was going to make sure that the information that I was taking in actually stuck mm. and that I could transfer it into an, into, into an essay yeah. or whatever. Um, in my mind, it's, it has some similarities, um, whether it's CBT or, you know, whether it's going yeah. on to um, medication or just being informed enough to be able to go along to a GP. Like not one thing is going to work for everyone. No. And it's a case of, unfortunately either getting some really good advice um, and help mm-hmm. along the way or just trial and error and trying things yeah. out. Yeah, the therapy helps with that too. I mean, I think everyone, also my advice is that even if you're listening to this and you've never had a mental health problem in your life, you should go to therapy anyway. Yeah. Mm. I think that everybody should go to therapy. There's like a quote or something that I've seen floating around and it's like, you don't have to be in a bad place to go to therapy. No. Like it can benefit you anyway. It's often even more helpful when you're not in a bad mm. place and you go to therapy. Mm. I think everyone should go. Yeah. I'm like enthusiastic about therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. You don't have to live how you've always been living. Absolutely. <laughs> and you've been writing a full length novel. Right? I have. <laughs> I have. Yeah. It's a crime novel set in um, the underground music scene. Wonderful. In London. Do you have a title for it? I don't have a title, but I've written nearly 60,000 words. <gasps> um, th- I That's did that this year. And I've left it for about four months now because I couldn't bear to look at it anymore. <laughs> um, and first drafts are often shit, but I'm going to go and try and edit it over. The... Do you have a target for when you want to release it? No. i just going with it and I mean, a publisher might it. not want it. It's my first ever novel. I did yeah. English literature at uni and yeah. I'm a writer. So, yeah. I mean, it might not be shit, but it could also be shit because it's the first one. Yeah. So uh, either way, I mean, it's good practice. Brilliant yeah. practice. You should be very proud. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So definitely follow her on her socials. Yeah. And when that, the time's right, you'll oh, see it. Maybe I'll self-publish. 
publish it if no one wants it just because <laughs> I wrote it so yeah but it depends it, I, when I edit it come to edit it I might be like oh I don't like it yeah you never know. It proves that I can do it again. Absolutely. We're all about being proud of ourselves this new decade. Yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's so good for you. <laughs> and <Yes>. water. <laughs> Stay hydrated, kids. <laughs> if anyone wants to follow what uh, Jessie's up to, you can follow her on Twitter at Jessie Atkinson X um, and at Jessie Atkinson XO on Instagram. Yeah. Jessie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. If anyone wants to uh, follow what we're up to as a podcast, we're at versus podcast underscore on Instagram and Twitter. And we're at versus podcast one on Facebook. Bye. Bye. <laughs>